Welcome to In the Know with Erin Glow, a podcast bringing you information and inspiration from people in all walks of life. This is the Halloween special, part one. Welcome to In the Know with Erin Glow's special Halloween episode. Happy Halloween, everybody. This is the first of many episodes I'll be having in between my regular interview episodes with guests that will feature a special theme. Now, unlike the regular one-topic episodes, these themed episodes will feature a lot of different topics based on one theme, such as this episode's Halloween theme, and will include multiple guests and other fun and interesting things. So let's dive right in. Now, before we get started, I just want to let our listeners know we'll be breaking down this episode and its topics into various spooky categories that are all perfect to talk about in the Halloween season. But before we begin, I want to introduce three special guests who I chose to be a part of this episode, not only because they're my good friends, but also because of their interests and backgrounds, which you'll find out about right now. First, we have Derek. Derek is a YouTuber and a lifelong fan of horror movies and true crime stories. He sometimes does reviews of horror movies on his YouTube channel, so he's a really great guest to have on this podcast. He lives in Maryland, so welcome, Derek. Hey, thank you for having me. Of course. Thank you for being here. Of course. Antonio is my next guest. He goes by Tony. He's a lifelong friend of mine who's a live streamer, YouTuber, and activist. He enjoys horror and other types of disturbing movies, and he likes to keep up with true crime stories. He lives in Boston. Welcome, Tony. Hey, thank you for having me. Of course. Thank you for being here. (laughs) We've known each other since we were, what, like 17, right? (laughs) 16 or 17, yeah. It's crazy. And now you're on my podcast, and now we're in our 30s, and life is grand. Oh, don't say our age. (laughs) Don't say our age. (laughs) Okay. And the third guest is Josh. He also goes by Reaper. He's involved in the gaming scene, and he oversees a gaming page with Tony that has 6,000-plus followers. He's highly interested in paranormal stuff, and he's been involved in the paranormal field for 16 years. He lives in Denver, Colorado. Welcome, Josh. Hey, great to be here. Thank you. I'm so excited to have you all here. So grab a drink. Make some s'mores and light your favorite Halloween-themed candle and get ready for some fun conversation and interesting stories. The first part of the episode is Horror Movie Huddle. Now, I want to give a disclaimer before we get into this part. I just want to let everyone listening know that we're going to be discussing a lot of horror movies, old and new, in detail here. So if you haven't seen any of them and want to, be aware that there will be spoilers. So you may want to skip over those movies until you see them. First set of movies we're going to talk about are classic movies. We'll be discussing the top five classic horror films, the films people think of when you mention horror films, and we're going to be going in order from oldest to newest. And we're starting with the original slasher film, Psycho. Psycho came out in 1960, many years ago, and it's directed by Alfred Hitchcock, the one and only. Now, the screenplay of Psycho was actually based on the 1959 novel of the same name, written by Robert Block. I think that's how you say it. Just keep in mind, all my plot descriptions are actually from IMDb or Google. 
so I didn't write them myself. I want to credit them. So here's the plot of Psycho. Phoenix Secretary Marion Crane, while on the lam after stealing $40,000 from her employer in order to run away with her boyfriend, Sam Loomis, is overcome by exhaustion during a heavy rainstorm. Traveling on the back roads to avoid the police, she stops for the night at the ramshackle Bates Motel and meets the polite but highly strung proprietor Norman Bates. He's a young man with an interest in taxidermy and has a difficult relationship with his mother. Okay, now I saw Psycho actually for the first time a couple years ago, so I was late in the game. But of course, before that, everybody knows the shower scene in Psycho. Even if you haven't seen the movie, you know that shower scene where (laughs) Janet Leigh gets slashed with a knife in the shower. So we had Janet Leigh in the movie. She is the original Scream Queen. She was the main character of this movie. She's actually the real-life mother of soon-to-be Scream Queen Jamie Lee Curtis. So that's really cool. I didn't know that until later on. So let's talk about this movie for a little bit. Did you guys know that Janet Lee was Jamie Lee Curtis's mother in real life? Am I the only one uh, late I, in the game to that? <laughs> I actually did know, but I didn't find out until pretty later on as well. Okay. Okay. What about you, you Tony? Um, I knew because my father is he always had horror movies on as we were growing up. And um during the time of Halloween coming out is when he pointed out, you know, that's her daughter you know yeah josh i mean i didn't really get to see this movie in the entirety like it was one of those movies that was playing on the background of things it was never like i never sat down and watched it yeah yeah that's how i was until like a couple years ago yeah yeah i was the exact same way i've seen bits and parts and obviously i've seen the shower scene i know all about that but i didn't sit down and watch it from beginning to end until like a year or two ago right so The setting of the movie is interesting. Okay, so it's at Bates Motel, Norman Bates and his mother's hotel, which is supposed to be off the California main highway. Uh, They also have the creepy Bates house that they live in on the hill above the hotel. The the house is very classic too, right? You guys have seen that house before. Oh, yeah. I think there's still studios in California. I think there's a studio that has like a replica of the house. Do you guys like know what that house is? Still, like, is the original still somewhere? I, I, I believe so because it was. I believe the house still exists, like, it, like the real life house you're talking about, not the the movie set house. So there was a real life house. Yes, there's a real life house, like that was like the movie was based off of, like that creepy type of house. But oh, okay. Other than that, yeah. Okay, so we have we have the creepy setting. We also have um, a serial killer plot here. You have this young, charismatic guy. He owns this motel alone. He says his mother lives with him in the house, but you never really see her until one point. Um, There's no one around. He's creepy, yet charismatic, like I said. Uh, So, Alfred Hitchcock, what do you think about the way he portrayed Norman in the movie as this young, charismatic guy? Was that Um, one of the first? Because usually you do a horror movie and there's... Usually you think of a killer and you think of somebody like ugly and, and just monstrous. And Yeah, um, I think it was smartly done because like you said, it was the first one. So I think back then you really didn't see a lot. Of, like you had a monster movie every now and then, but not those, you know, grotesque 
gory killers. And I think it kind of added to the creep factor that he just is this kind of normal, like you said, charismatic guy, but he's actually a serial killer. So yeah, it adds to it a lot. Um, it's, it's a, it's definitely a psychological drama. It's um, based off a couple of things that were true. And basically he made the character literally have, you know, quote unquote, mommy issues. It's a real, it wasn't per se a slasher film. I mean, it was, it was, it was original in its kind, but it brought on the thinkers, the, you know, the horror movies that you sit back and you have to go, oh, especially when it came to the ending. And throughout the series as well, because, you know, it carries on. It definitely makes you think, like, why is this guy like that? Why why is he killing people when he seems like he could be a nice, genuine guy? What What's the deal with his mother? Why is, he so, why is he always concerned about her? And then you realize the mother's not even alive at the end. And he's actually taken on her persona and has her dead body in the house. Yeah, um, that explains itself the further you get into the wormhole of Psycho, and I think it's Psycho 5 explains it, of, you know, the type of mother he had, how he was growing up, and he basically, he calls in a radio station, and he talks to this, you know, like a therapist on the radio, and explains all of it, and, you know, it was clearly, we could tell in the first movie, the original Psycho in 1960, that it was clearly, you know, mommy issues that this person was um, severely broken by his environment. Right. Yeah. I don't, I think there was, uh, there are four Psychos. So maybe you're talking about Psycho 4. Yeah. I was just about to say yeah. that. It was, psych- was it Psycho 4? Then yeah, yeah. it's Psycho yeah. 4. Yeah. Okay. So we, we have Anthony Perkins. Let's talk about him. Anthony Perkins played Norman Bates in Psycho through Psycho 4. Classic villain yeah i mean he he he's perfect because especially at the the very end scene from psycho he he pretty i don't know what the look's called but where you're kind of looking down a little bit and you raise your eyes up it's just that perfect creepy serial killer look that without anthony perkins that may have never ever been seen the light of day yeah he he perfected that look (laughs) (laughs) it's kind of like lift the head a little bit gaze the eyes out yeah yeah slight smile um (laughs) What do you think about? It? Have you seen Anthony Perkins in anything else? I haven't. No, he he really he really stuck to the Psycho franchise. Um, he was he started in the 1960s with, of course, Psycho One, and then with Psycho Four in, in 1990. But he really wasn't in too many of the other movies uh, besides the Black Hall, uh, Hole, which was a 1979 movie. But that was it. But oh, he died see, of actually AIDS at the age of 60. Yeah, and I, I read yeah. he was like a very shy guy too, which is kind of ironic. <laughs> you could kind of see that with the acting. Some actors, you can tell they, I don't want to say they're pigeonholed into playing a certain kind of shy role, but yeah, you could almost see that, you know, the real life Anthony Perkins, kind of that shyness coming out in his acting skills. For sure. Do you guys have like a, a favorite thing about the movie that you haven't mentioned yet? Or you kind of already mentioned it? Yeah, I think just the ending for me, just that reveal of like that, oh my God, that's really what's been going on the whole time. Um, I knew about the ending before, like when, before I actually saw it, so it was a little bit of a spoiler, but still seeing it for the first time, it's just, I don't know, you never forget that scene. Right, and it became like, even as a kid before I saw this movie, I remember people back in the day would be like, whenever something freaky happened or a person acted creepy, they're like, oh, who are you, Norman Bates? 
And it just like <laughs> <Yeah>. became, like, <laughs> I mean, that just tells you how, how iconic that character is. What about you, Tony? You have any favorite parts about the movie? Actually, the whole movie introduced like a whole new genre of horror, especially at that time. You know, there was um, a lot of uh, movie and TV censors back then. So the whole shower scene was a big risk that Alfred Hitchcock had to make. It was his vision. And um, I think the real horror behind, you know, Psycho is actually watch the making of Psycho because that was even 10 times more horrible than the movie. Because of all the, all the, you know, it was like a three ring circus, him trying to get the perfect scene over and over again. It's like the, um, the shining, you know, that one scene with Shelley Duvall doing it over and over and over again. He had one of those kind of methods of, you know, directing. Yeah. I heard that too. The making of it. Where did you see that? Um, I saw it in parts in documentaries on YouTube then, you know, little clips of the actors and the producers, the sound people, everybody had something to say and it just, they gathered it up on YouTube and they made a video about it. You can also watch, um, I forgot what year this came out in, but it's recent. Um, it has Tony Collette in it and it's, uh, Alfred Hitchcock. I think it's called just Hitchcock and I think HBO released it and it's based on actual facts and testimonies from, the making of psycho and like what happened with the casting, the recording, the shower scene, the iconic, you know, you know, that with the knife goes down and it's like, eh, 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 like that, Yeah, <laughs> all the recording. I know it sounds funny coming from me, but it, everything in it. Yeah. They put out like two different, uh, like makings of the psycho. Uh, they made one in like 2010, which was like called the psycho Le- legacy. Um, and then, of course, the 1997 actual footage, The Making of Psycho. And I think I watched the 2010 version, and it was interesting because they basically went over everything in the uh, of The Making of Psycho, but it was a tad bit different. I know at the Wax Museum out here, there's a, um, in, in LA, there's, <laughs> they have like a, a wax figure of Alfred Hitchcock, and he's standing there, and then in the back of him is the shower and it like opens and you can go in there and take a picture uh pose in it as if you're like in the shower getting ready to get killed or something like that one of my friends did it she like made a shocked face so like it just shows you that's just iconic it's it's awesome anything else you guys want to add yeah just kind of what you said I, i think it's not only is it an iconic horror film but it's just an iconic film in cinema in general because I'd be willing to bet that most people have probably seen it. Even if you're not a fan of horror movies, you have probably seen Psycho in it. Even though it's not a traditional slasher movie of what we're used to, without it, you probably wouldn't have seen Halloween or Friday the 13th or any of those. Right. Yeah. Is there anything you guys didn't like about the movie? Um, I mean, it. I don't want to say it doesn't age well because it does, but obviously we're in 2021 now and that came out in 1960. So some of the scenes, like when she falls down the steps, you can, obviously it's not the most crisp thing and it looks, you know, it doesn't age the best, but you got to take in that it was 1960. So it's just not even really a complaint, but. Right. Yeah. And it was in black and white. We talk about that. It was a black and white. <laughs> and I mean, come on. It was still entertaining even for people who, who were born way after, you know, black and white was a, thing, was a thing. That didn't take away from the movie at all. No, not at all. I think it adds to it, honestly. 
Oh, no, I think I agree with Derek. It adds to it. I mean, Psycho was literally the red carpet to what we have today by, you know, Hitchcock tugging on the screen of the, excuse me, on the strings of the censors. We wouldn't have what we had today if Hitchcock didn't push buttons and got his way. So it's a classic. Yeah, exactly. All right. So want to talk about, just mention quickly the sequels that had had Psycho 2 came out in 1983, so several years after the first one. But it also starred Anthony Perkins and Vera Miles. Psycho 3 came out 1986, three years after Psycho 2. Again, Anthony Perkins. Uh, he also directed it and starred in it. Then we had a TV movie uh, that actually came out in 1987 called Bates Motel. Anthony Perkins wasn't in that. Uh, Kurt Paul actually played Norman Bates has the plot of uh, like just continuing after the first movie and it ignores the the Psycho 2 and 3 sequels. Psycho 4 came out in 1990. Anthony Perkins was back. It was a sequel and a prequel to the original in that it explains the early life of Norman Bates, which we mentioned earlier, through flashbacks. Finally, we had Psycho the remake in 1998 that was directed by Gus Van Sant. Vince Vaughn played Norman Bates. Julianne Moore was in the movie, Viggo Mortensen, William H. Macy, and Anne Heche. So that was it for the movies. And then we actually got a TV series from 2013 to 2017, also called Bates Motel. This a television series was a prequel to the first Psycho film. It gave you a really detailed uh, story about how Norman Bates became Norman Bates how his mother died, how he got in that situation. Really interesting. Norman Bates is played by Freddie Highmore, very talented British actor. Vera Farmiga, very talented actress, plays Norma Bates. So as you can see, it did have a lot of sequels, television series, TV movie, was very impactful, but I don't think anything can beat the first Psycho. Now, before we move on to the next movie, I wanted to give a few little fun facts about this movie. Now, these are from IMDb, so I'm pretty sure they're true, but if they're not, don't beat me up about it. (laughs) Director Alfred Hitchcock originally envisioned the shower sequence as completely silent, but Bernard Herrmann went ahead and scored it anyway, and upon hearing it, Hitchcock immediately changed his mind. Another fun fact, when Norman spies on Marion as she gets ready to shower, the painting he actually removes from the parlor wall is of a Susanna and the Elders, in which a young woman is unknowingly watched as she bathes. Did you guys know that? No, I actually didn't. It's pretty cool. I like that attention to detail. That's freaky. Yeah, the fine detail. Another fun fact. Alfred Hitchcock actually used Bosco chocolate syrup instead of blood because it showed up better on camera in the black and white footage. I heard about that one. Pretty cool. Yeah. And the last fun fact, the sound that the knife actually makes penetrating the flesh is actually the sound of a knife stabbing a cassava melon. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Makes sense. All right. Leaving Psycho Territory and moving into the next iconic classic horror film, Halloween, 1978, directed by John Carpenter. Here's the plot. On a cold Halloween night in 1963, six-year-old Michael Myers brutally murdered his 17-year-old sister, Judith, 
He was sentenced and locked away for 15 years. But on October 30, 1978, while being transferred for a court date, the 21-year-old Michael Myers steals a car and escapes Smith's Grove. He returns to his quiet hometown of Haddonfield, Illinois, where he looks for his next victims. Obviously, a classic. You can't think of Halloween without thinking of Halloween the movie. So here we have Jamie Lee Curtis, Janet Lee's daughter, taking over the territory of Scream Queen for this. She plays Laurie Strode, who Michael, uh, you end up finding out it's Michael's sister, and he terrorizes her. Now, this movie set the tone for her career, for sure. You have Donald Pleasance, who plays Sam Loomis, Nick Castle as Michael Myers, Tony Moran as Michael Myers, unmasked, Will Sandin as Michael Myers, age six. Okay, another serial killer plot, but there's a family aspect to it this time with his victim is actually his sister. What do you think about this? Um, actually, a little fun fact here. The initial plan for the original movie with John Carpenter's vision wasn't to have Lori be Michael's sister. That was introduced in um, part two, which he didn't want that to happen. So fast forward, you know, 40 years later for Halloween 2018, when John Carpenter takes over again, he kind of nixed all of the other sequels and just made a direct one from the original and took out the storyline of so technically, yes, it is her sister, but just a little fun fact there that John Carpenter did not like that aspect of the franchise. Interesting. I didn't know that. I mean, for me, it, it like reading about the plot and the different things about the movie is kind of interesting. Like Jamie Lee Curtis wasn't initially supposed to be the role of uh, Laurie. Um, it was actually supposed to be Anne Lockhart for that role. But uh, Jamie came in and auditioned three separate times um, wow. before Coppender actually cast her. Anything, Tony? Oh, no, it's a great, you know, movie. I mean, there's really not much to say. It speaks for itself, really. You can't think of Halloween, like, you know, celebrating Halloween without sitting back going, oh, I wonder if they have Halloween on TV, on demand. You want to watch it. Oh, yeah. I, I can't go Halloween personally without watching it at least once. So Exactly. And all of them. Even, you know, I'll, I'll even give this. The Rob Zombie one was good. It was good. I'll give him that. Yeah. Part two was another story, but part one, yeah, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> I, I agree with you. Let's not, we're not going to talk about that one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So unlike Psycho, doesn't take place at a motel, but it takes place in a residential neighborhood and sometimes at the school in Haddonfield, Illinois. Is Haddonfield a real place in Illinois? I don't believe it is. I don't know if it's a real town or not, but I do know this is when the horror genre started using um, white suburbia as yeah. a background, like a back set of, you know, safe little cul-de-sac or something, you know, like a safe neighborhood, you know, working class, middle, upper class, you know, neighborhood and put terror into it. It's, it's supposed to make you not feel safe. Exactly. And that's exactly what it did for me. <laughs> It's actually a real town in Illinois. Um, it is actually known for Michael Myers and the Strobe family. Um, it has a historical downtown, a recreation of the house uh, houses that are in the movie and stuff like that. So. Oh, wow. Okay. 
See, I just looked it up real quick, and from what I found, it's actually, it is based off of Haddonfield, but in New Jersey, which was actually where Deborah Hill was from, who co-wrote and produced it with John Carpenter. So they kind of threw in her hometown there. So we really don't know where Halloween came from, (laughs) but we are grateful that it's a part of our history. Exactly. Because really, Jamie Lee Curtis... And her mother. I guess both of them have the pedestal for being scream queens. Yeah. 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 I mean, they're arguably, you know, if you have a Mount Rushmore, they easily could be on there, you know, themselves. Oh, absolutely. Jamie, for sure. I I do want to say, and I don't know if y'all would agree to this, but um, Jamie Lee Curtis wasn't the first final girl. Everybody thinks that Jamie Lee Curtis is the first final girl, and it's not. It's the woman in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh, yeah. yeah. This is just a random fact. I don't know. Something I, I knew in my head. <laughs> what I love, though, about Jamie Lee Curtis is she wasn't like, I don't know, she was just kind of like an average woman or, or girl back then. I mean, she was a teenager, but she's just like an average teenager. She not, She wasn't like this sex pot or anything like that yet she became like everybody loved her and still does i mean she's still acting um the other thing i wanted to mention though about this movie is it freaked me out i think because it was the first time i ever saw a kid killer on film or in real life or anything (laughs) but yeah and and it's just like just that image of him with the knife and that's just the opening it's like oh my god in the clown suit and you're just it's just very disturbing, and I think that movie kind of, I'm sure it got some heat for that, but um, I think it, it that is just very impactful, and then it also brings up, um, like Norman Bates, a mental health aspect of why is this man killing his sister at such a young age, and why is he continuing uh, to go after another sister? I think Rob Zombie tried as hard as he could to explain everything we didn't see in the early Halloweens. I think he tried to put it as kind of like a Norman Bates. He had definite issues, but he didn't have mommy issues in the Rob Zombie take of it. His mother was very caring. It was the people around him, like his older sister. And um, I guess it was his stepfather or his mother's boyfriend, they were very abusive and he was very, you know, recluse. He was, he kept to himself. He had some problems and I think Rob Zombie did the best he could with what he had to try to make a story. And he just added more to it because we honestly don't, I I mean, I don't know why he does what he does. We can't just sit back and call him, Oh, he's crazy. Mm -hmm. I want to see a story of, of why. Right, and I think Rob Zombie was trying to, yeah, like you said, he was trying to touch on that. Because honestly, if you look back at serial killer Wikipedias, almost all of them have had abusive childhoods. Yes, that or an accident with some brain damage to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I mean, there's a pattern there, obviously. I mean, not it's not 100% all the time, but obviously if there's that pattern, something, and as we all know, we're very affected in childhood. It, it makes us who we are. And sometimes we can change it when we're adults if we if we try and we want to. And then sometimes we just we don't have the awareness or, or we lose our way. We make the wrong decisions. I also think it was very creepy that um, they were mixing a mask 
monster with a real life man because it made it just oh well anybody can put on this mask and and become this killer yeah it's it's a um it could happen to you kind of scenario like it could be anyone behind that mask right and it's not unlike psycho you don't have to go to bates motel to get murdered it it could happen in school you look outside and there's a creepy guy in the window oh exactly yeah, back to what Tony was saying about the the Rob Zombie Halloween. I a lot of people seem to hate that one, but I like specifically the backstory with young Michael. They don't seem to like that from what I've read, but I thought it was done well. Uh at least, you know, for what he was given. I don't think Rob Zombie had a lot of creative freedom or as much as he wanted on that, so I think he did the best that he could. Other than that, the only other backstory we've ever really gotten to Michael was Halloween six the curse of michael myers where you kind of find out that he's involved in this like devil cult type deal and i think that's easily the worst halloween ever so i just kind of ignore that one (laughs) all i have to say is i'm quite impressed with the how good the movie is when it was only written in like less than two weeks like it took them less than two weeks to, to write their original script and which I find absolutely amazing for how good the movie turned out and then how long they've stretched that story. Yeah, I didn't know that. Wow. I have a question. Is Halloween the start of the um the start of oh if you don't have sex you'll live kind of horror genre? Yeah. I read that actually when I was doing the research and it said that it wasn't intended to be that way though. I think I don't know if it was John Carpenter who said this or somebody else or Jamie Lee Curtis might have said this. I think she said that when people started mentioning that to her, oh, you were the virgin, so you lived. She's like, I never saw it that way. It was more like those people were so distracted with having sex that they didn't know a killer was after them, whereas I was more alert because I wasn't distracted by boys. (laughs) It kind of means the same thing, doesn't it? Yeah, but the whole thing about, oh, you are going to die if you're no longer a virgin. Oh, see, I thought it more of, well, I'm I'm talking more of the, um, in a horror movie, the rule of thumb is don't have sex when there's a killer around. It's not the whole virgin thing, per se. It's more of the, if there's a killer in the neighborhood and you know there's a killer, why stop and have sex? That's counterproductive. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right well teenage hormones exactly and alcohol because <laughs> weren't some of them drunk in that movie too i believe i think there was halloween partying but wasn't um i could be getting this confused again Derek, correct me but i think one of them was the sheriff's daughter i know in the rob zombie one if no it definitely was in the original as well you're right yeah so I think that uh, person who played her was very rebellious. So I think there was drinking. I can't remember the little fine details. <laughs> but yeah. I do now remember the scene, if you remember too, where Lori and her friend are in the car driving and they're smoking a joint, I believe. And that's when like, oh, yeah. she sees her dad pull up and they blow it away real quick. So yeah. I, oh yeah, you're right. Yeah, kind of like the sheriff's daughter, preacher's daughter kind of idea. Same thing. Yeah. All right. Now we have to talk about the theme song. One of the most famous theme songs. Second you hear it, I don't know about you, but I get creeped out. And I think you remember Tony back in the day. You used to play me that damn that damn theme song back in it our. It used like, to be my ringtone. 
Yeah, but you used to play it for me because you knew it freaked me out. You used to play it all yeah. the time on the phone. <laughs> I would play it. It was my ringtone back in the day before we had smartphones. We had bricks called Nokia's and um, my ringtone was the Halloween theme. And it was, you know, it it sounded like it sounded pixelized, but it was still the Halloween theme. I would play it all the time. Now, I have a funny story, actually. Like Michael Myers freaked me out when I first saw this movie. I don't know why. I mean, I think just something about like he just grabbed a mask took the, what do you call it, the gas station uniform thing, put it on. A jumpsuit. Jumpsuit. It wasn't It wasn't planned. It was just happened, and it just became like this look. I'll never forget. There was one Halloween when I was probably a teenager, and it was dark, and people were coming up to our house to trick-or-treat and stuff. I was um, standing outside for a second, and then I looked, <laughs> and down the street was someone dressed as Michael Myers coming like walking quickly down the street, just like he does. And he was walking closer and closer and closer. And then he turned into like our driveway. And I'm like, oh my God, I just ran back in the house. And it turns out it was my cousin. (laughs) And and it's just like, he freaked me out. And I just like, I don't know if that has something to do with it too. But whenever I see Michael Myers and whenever I think of just like a killer or somebody like that freaks me out. And I just think of that image I mean, people dress up in all kinds of costumes, but just the fact that you can dress up in a costume like that and you know it's Halloween, you know it's not real, but like the fact that you just have to walk a certain way and walk towards somebody, that tells you how iconic that costume is. Oh, yeah, most definitely. It is. And the thing is, too, the Halloween costume, Michael Myers' whole getup, probably cost, what, five bucks? The mask (laughs) is um, the guy from like Star Trek. What's his name? William Shatner. Yeah. Thank you, William William Shatner. Yeah, they literally bought a Star Trek William Shatner mask, painted it white, and cut out the eye holes and threw it on the actor, basically. Do you know whose idea that was? I don't, actually. Most of the main characters had to provide their own wardrobe. Curtis bought her all her costumes from JCPenney for under 100 bucks. Yeah, the budget was tight. And the movie is a classic and made millions of dollars, even today. Again, you can't go through Halloween every October. You at least have to see one Halloween movie, if not the first. Right. Yes. Right. Do it in order. That That is a big rule. If you're going to watch a collection of horror movies like Halloween, Freddy Krueger, um, even Hellraiser or something like that, watch them in order. It has yeah. so much appreciation when you watch them in order. I think Derek was the one who told me this. Something about the jack-o'-lantern? Is there some, like, face in it? Or what, what was it? Yes. The the very beginning credits of Halloween where it's kind of like the, the pumpkin it, and it's, like, zooming in. If you look at it a certain way, it the nose um, and kind of the eye, it's, it's of Michael holding a knife. It's a very abstract kind of way, but in the 2018 version, they made it more prominent so you could see it a little better. But, yeah. Yeah, you told me that blew my mind. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, right. they sold t-shirts of it. Because I used to have a t-shirt, a Halloween t-shirt of the jack-o'-lantern. I think I had the one that was more, you can tell that it was. It wasn't like, you know, hidden in the pumpkin. But I used to have the t-shirt uh, and it had like him holding the knife. Yeah. All right, sequels and spinoffs. So this movie had 11 sequels and spinoffs. So... Halloween 2 came out in 1981, also starred Jamie Lee 
Lee Curtis, and Donald Pleasance reprising their roles. Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, 1982. Although it was the third installment of the franchise, it was not related to Michael Myers at all. Uh, it was an entirely different plot. Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers, 1988. Back to the original plot with Michael Myers, and it starred Donald Pleasance, but not Jamie Lee Curtis. Uh, we had Daniel Harris, who plays Michael Myers' niece in that movie. Halloween 5, The Revenge of Michael Myers, 1989. Donald Pleasance again. Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers, 1995. Donald Pleasant's final appearance in the film franchise. Paul Rudd played Tommy Doyle, who is the little boy that Jamie Lee Curtis babysits in the original. Halloween H2O, 20 years later, 1998. Jamie Lee Curtis is back as Laurie. Also starred uh, Michelle Williams, Josh Hartnett. It was one of their first big films. Halloween Resurrection, 2002. Jamie Lee Curtis, back as Laurie. Also starred Buster Rhymes and Tyra Banks. Halloween 2007. It was a remake of the first by Rob Zombie. We, we talked about that a lot earlier. Halloween 2 2009. Rob Zombie's sequel. Halloween 2018. Jamie Lee Curtis is back. It's a direct sequel to the original Halloween. And it's kind of like another version of a part two. Finally this year. Halloween Kills. Stars Jamie Lee Curtis. And Anthony Michael Hall from John Hughes movies plays Tommy Doyle. And it begins where the previous film, Halloween 2018, ended. They also have plans for Halloween Ends, which is coming out next year. Don't really know anything about that yet because Halloween Kills has not come out yet. So they haven't released any information. But it's supposed to be like a continuation of that. Fun facts. The original script, titled The Babysitter Murders, had the events actually take place over the space of several days. It was a budgetary decision to change the script to have everything happen on the same day. And doing this reduced the number of costume changes and locations required. And it was decided that Halloween, the scariest night of the year, was the perfect night for this movie to happen. Of all the female leads, all the girls are supposed to be in high school. Only Jamie Lee Curtis was actually a teenager at the time of shooting. Another fact, because PJ Souls, who played Linda, because her shirt was open for the scene where she strangled with a telephone cord, an alternate version was shot for the trailer and publicity shots, where she's actually wearing a bathrobe to cover up. Another fact, John Carpenter was actually the voice of Annie's boyfriend, Paul, whom we hear on the phone, talking to Lindsay and a minute later to Annie. Last fun fact, to ensure Michael Myers would break the window of the station wagon as Dr. Loomis approaches the insane asylum, a wrench was actually attached to his forearm and hand. It was then painted flesh-colored to hide from the camera. All right, moving on to Friday the 13th. Came out in 1980, directed by Sean S. Cunningham. The movie is about a group of camp counselors who are stalked and murdered by an unknown assailant while trying to reopen a summer camp, which was the site of a child's drowning in a grisly double murder years before. So Jason with the hockey mask became known as the killer in Friday the 13th. His mother, however, was the killer in the original. Now this movie gave me psycho vibes just in <laughs> different order here. You had the mother who was the insane one, and then the son who was the supposed dead one in the beginning. 
Well, I don't think she was insane to begin with. I think the neglect from the camp counselors and the adults, which made Jason drown, and plus the bullying he had because he was deformed, I think all that on top of each other, she just went crazy. Yeah, she became insane. Yeah, she became insane, but she wasn't unlike um, Psycho, you know, Norbit's mo- Norbit, um, Norman's mom. <laughs> I don't know why I thought of Eddie Murphy right there, but um, but unlike um, Norman's mom was very sick. If you, you know, watch all the, you know, the psychos, she was born sick. Jason's mom wasn't, I don't think she was born sick. I think she was either you're a product of your upbringing or you're a product of your nature of what happens around you. And right. I think that's what happened to Jason's mom. And she just wanted to get justice the best way she could. For sure. And Betsy Palmer played Mrs. Voorhees. She did such an amazing job. Adrian King was the main survivor, Alice. Now, this movie was also one of Kevin Bacon's first films. He plays Jack. The plot is interesting, I think, because the franchise starts off with one killer, and then it goes to another, who becomes the main killer, Jason. Like we said, the mother and then Jason. The setting is at Camp Crystal Lake. Do we know what city it takes place in the movie? Um, I actually don't. I don't know if it's ever really mentioned. Yeah, I don't think it's ever mentioned. So here you have just this nice-looking woman in a blue sweater who becomes the killer. <laughs> I thought it was cool how this movie brought, like, just a regular mask. It's not, like, a special mask like Michael Myers and this William Shatner mask and just kind of cut the eyes out. And It brought just, like, a mask that you wear to play hockey, and it became, like, this evil mask. Um, I thought that was cool how they did that, even though it had nothing to do with hockey. <laughs> Sorry, I just wanted to jump in and say I think it's funny – Maybe I'm wrong, but I think at this point, when people see a hockey mask, they almost think of Jason Voorhees before they think of a hockey goalie. So that's how iconic that's become. Yeah. <laughs> it is, especially with the um, the markings on his mask. Yeah. Even if you're a hockey player, I've noticed hockey players put the markings on their mask because they're such fans of Jason. That's just crazy how you can make something that already exists into something else. Yeah. So yeah, like Halloween, the killer is masked for the most part in the rest of the films. Uh, has a creepy camp vibe, made camp creepy. <laughs> the songs they play in the beginning with the guitar, supposed to be like, ah, kumbaya songs, and they're actually just creepy. Had the rainstorm effect, helped with the creepiness. What do you guys think about this movie? I actually didn't, uh, when I first saw it, I was already knowledgeable of Friday 13th being Jason Voorhees. So when I first saw it, I was going through the whole film. Uh, You don't really know who the killer is until the end. So when you get to the end and it's Pamela Voorhees and you don't see Jason, all, I was just so confused as a kid as to what I was watching. And it was never one that I really grew up with, like the franchise in general. So it's not really my favorite. And even the original, I don't even think it's in my top three of the franchise. But when I'm in the mood to just watch like a campy, kind of cheesy just slasher film that it's definitely a go-to you know i agree it's a go-to slasher film it's kind of like um like like, let's be real for a second if you want to call yourself a horror movie fan and you love the genre you kind of have to watch jason it's it's a rite of passage like you have to you know friday the 13th psycho halloween all these you know classics you cannot 
maybe I'm being snotty, but you cannot call yourself a horror movie fan if you've never seen Friday the 13th. Yeah, I agree. Right. And I think, too, yeah, what you're saying, Derek, where it's like everybody, even people who haven't seen the films, they know Jason's the killer. But yet he's not really the killer until the second one. That just wasn't like a known fact. And I think because I, I felt the same way when I found out. It was, I was like, where's Jason? I thought he was the killer. Um, it's funny too and he doesn't even get his iconic hockey mask until the third film so you go three whole films before you get the full iconic Jason look yet that's what everyone knows why do you think that is Uh, I think just because before when we had horror movies specifically slashers like Psycho and Halloween that we mentioned there were killings but they weren't necessarily the most violent or brutal but with Friday the 13th Tom Savini greatest special effects artist hands down of all time he brought that just gory gruesome aspect to it and i think it was just something different that people were interested in right any favorite parts of the film i like the aspect that you don't know who the killer is you kind of see the first person you know that it's it's not someone that everyone is afraid of because i remember one of the deaths uh, i forget the guy's name but the guy that had the glasses outside checking in the rain with his yellow raincoat he sees the person. And he's like, oh, it's you. And he goes up to like almost hug him. And then the c- camera just cuts to another scene and you assume that he dies off camera. So it's one of those things where like, who who is the killer? Because clearly they're not afraid of him. And then he realized that it's this old lady. And it's kind of like, huh, it's interesting. I think the whole buildup of that of um, I mean, one of the classic elements in a horror movie, especially one that has mystery, it's the who done it type thing. Like, who could it be? And when I originally saw it, I was like, oh my God, it's his mom. And from that day forward, any kid that was ever bullied wished their mom was her. <laughs> I mean, you, I mean she, you know, me growing up, I was bullied. I mean, I guess, you know, everybody gets bullied. And if my mom wanted to, you know, yeah. trying to keep it pg but yeah i you know but again on all seriousness it's it's a classic it's one of those top 10 classic movies and the build-up to it and especially like uh, derek said even his whole aesthetic of him it took time to do you can tell that they put thought into it and they just didn't like i'm not trying to put shade on halloween or anything like that they put thought into it, especially what the outcome of him was going to look like with his mask. Right. Yeah. And they he changes and he like changes every movie too. He gets a little more kind of decrepit, a little more dead. And you really see, and even the continuity, like I think it's part four when he gets quote unquote killed, he gets kind of like chopped in the head. And then by the next time, part six or whatever, cause part five wasn't really Jason, but you see a little chip in his mask from when the ax hit his head. So they keep, the consistency throughout with the costume but change it up a little bit and i really like that too Mm -hmm. i like all of them all the movies i like all of them except jason x see that's actually one of my favorite ones yeah i know i mean i you know i was that diehard fan with um freddy versus jason came out and i was you know movie theater going there i think i at least saw it twice in the movie theater it was amazing and um I, I remember when Jason X came out and I was like, what the, what, what is this? What, what am I watching? I think I like it because like I said, I wasn't a fan growing up of it. So whenever I want to see a Jason movie, I just want to see Jason just hack people up. And 
you, if you go into Jason X thinking it's going to be some cinematic masterpiece, you're going to be disappointed. You got to just understand it's a corny, cheesy space horror movie and kind of appreciate it for what it is. <laughs> no, you you do. I mean, I, I get that. I guess it's um, sci-fi isn't really my yeah I'm, genre. I'm the, the most sci-fi I got in a horror movie would probably be Rocky Horror Picture Show because that was a little sci-fi. Yeah. It was. If if anybody watched it till the end, yes, there was. He was an alien. I spoiled it. <laughs> I have to just put out there too. I don't know if you agree, Tony, but you know the woman who plays Brenda in this movie. In the first one. Yeah, she reminds me so much of Gina Davis. Can you see oh, that? God, you. I haven't seen the first one. Oh, okay. In at least right. two years. No, I've seen the first one. Don't get me wrong, but it's been at least two years. Yeah, she just like looks like you're just. Reminds me, I always think it's her and it's not, but yeah. <laughs> okay, so moving on to the sequels and spinoffs. Friday the 13th Part 2 came out in 1981, so a year after. Also starred Adrian King and Betsy Palmer reprising their roles. Friday the 13th Part 3, 1982. It was a continuation with different characters. Friday the 13th The Final Chapter, 1984. It starred Crispin Glover and Corey Feldman. Corey's character, Tommy Jarvis, is introduced and the character would continue for the next two films. Friday the 13th, A New Beginning, 1985, continuation. Friday the 13th, Part 6, Jason Lives, 1986. Uh, It was the last one to feature the character of Tommy Jarvis as the protagonist. Friday the 13th, Part 7, The New Blood, 1988. Came out years after the last one. Friday the 13th, Part 8, Jason Takes Manhattan, 1989. Uh, This one, Jason stalks a bunch of high school graduates on a ship en route to New York City. Jason Goes to Hell, The Final Friday, 1993. Continuation takes place years after the last one. Jason X, 2002. Futuristic type plot, Jason's frozen and he comes back. Freddy vs. Jason 2003, crossover between Friday the 13th series with Jason and Nightmare on Elm Street with Freddy Krueger, and puts them against each other. Friday the 13th 2009 was a reboot of the original. And finally, Friday the 13th television series was from 1987 to 1990, but it actually had no story connection to the film's and it wasn't even based on a killer named Jason. They just used that title to draw people in. Fun facts about the movie. The movie was filmed at Camp No... B- I'm going to try to say this. Camp No B Bosco in New Jersey. Uh, the camp is still in operation, and it has a wall of Friday the 13th memorabilia to honor that the movie was set there. Kevin Bacon's character, lying in bed with his throat impaled by an arrow has the blood in his neck making little bubbles. I don't know if you remember that. It was during his kill scene. Now, originally, it was just meant to seep out, but the arrangement of the tube with blood didn't work. And the makeup artist, special effects technician, Tom Savini, ended up blowing into the tube to make it flow, causing an unintended but ultimately used bubbling effect. Next, Sally Field was actually offered the role of Alice Hardy, but she turned it down. And the scene with the snake, now Derek already told me this and it was disturbing to me, but the scene with the snake, if you don't know, was not in the script. 
and it was an idea from special effects technician Tom Savini after an experience in his own cabin during the filming. Now, the snake in the scene was actually real, including its on-screen death. Finally, Harry Crosby, who played Bill in this movie, is actually Bing Crosby's son. Moving on, A Nightmare on Elm Street, 1984, the year I was born. No, 1984. Okay. <laughs> Directed by Wes Craven. Here's the plot. Several Midwestern teenagers fall prey to Freddy Krueger, a disfigured midnight mangler who preys on the teenagers in their dreams, which in turn kills them in reality. After investigating the phenomenon, Nancy begins to suspect that a dark secret kept by her and her friend's parents may be the key to unraveling the mystery. But can Nancy and her boyfriend Glenn solve the puzzle before it's too late? Alright, so this movie was different in the way that it happened in reality, but it was really happening in nightmares. First time I've ever seen a movie like that. Obviously, we had Robert England played Freddy Krueger in all the films. Heather Langenkamp played Nancy. And Johnny Depp played Glenn. And this was actually Johnny Depp's film debut. Now, who wasn't terrified of Freddy as a kid, right? What do you guys think? Uh, I think everybody was. If you said you weren't, you're lying to yourself. <laughs> Oh, because I was I was about to say I wasn't, but again, I was kind of brought up on horror movies. You know what I mean? Like, so the concept of him when I got older and when I started to be an adult and, you know, when you're an adult, you overanalyze things and you're kind of like, you put things together like sleep paralysis, you know, like mm-hmm. all this stuff. Like, you're like, oh, you're very vulnerable in your dreams and you're very vulnerable when you sleep because you know you're supposed to be in the safest place in the world in your bed in your home with locked doors and the concept of it when i got older when in my teens i was like oh he scares the hell out of me because it could happen because you know again the sleep paralysis you know if you want to think about it that way they say there's a sleep paralysis demon yeah you guys ever heard about that i think insidious um that movie talked about it a little bit more but like if you put that concept into play it makes you go oh we're kind of screwed if this ever was real yeah i think the reason most kids i say most kids are always afraid is because most children if you have a nightmare get terrified it's a nightmare you generally grow out of that a little bit the older you get so the fact that there's now this monster that can kill you in your nightmares i just think that freaked Mm -hmm. most people out but come on, like, just yeah. just the way he looked in general was freaking oh, yeah. I mean, And it wasn't like a mask. It was him. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's was- why That's why I think Robert England, he's almost irreplaceable as Freddy Krueger to me. He just kind of is because it's his face. It's not just a mask. It's the look, the voice, just everything. For sure. It's yeah. iconic. You know, his him acting it is, I can't picture anybody. I agree with Derek because the new one that came out. It wasn't the same, was it? it? You didn't get that same vibe from it? I will say sense? this. I agree, but I don't necessarily put that on um, Jack Earl Haley. I think I'd be willing to give him another shot as Freddy because at this point, I mean, Robert England is his age. So if there's another nightmare, he probably can't do it uh, or mm-hmm. wouldn't want to maybe. So I'd be willing to give Jack Earl Haley another shot because I think he did a good job. It's just taking some time to get used to it not being Robert England. My issue with the remake was everything else, mainly uh, I forget which Mara sister played the role, but she even I think went on air saying that she had no love for horror films, no passion, didn't care about the role at all. And it definitely showed in her acting to me. 
Oh, see, I did not know about that. And that kind of, you know, if you're an actor and actress and you're going to be in a classic, you know, genre as horror and be in, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street movies, you're going to have to know what you're doing and you're going to have to have some appreciation for this because you're just letting us down. Exactly. Especially in a genre that I would argue is the most diehard fans in terms of like horror fans are they're picky with their with their movies oh yeah oh no 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 i i I mean i'm wearing a freddy cougar shirt right now (laughs) i i I swear to god i am and you just you have to appreciate what you're doing if not don't do it don't do it for the money have some respect for the fandom behind it yeah and obviously Freddy's iconic costume. I don't think anybody can wear like a dark green and red striped sweater and you don't think of him, <laughs> right? Like, no, even a fedora at this point. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, Yeah, and I thought it was cool how they combined sort of like the, you know, the residential setting. So it was, it took place in the fictional town of Springwood, Ohio. And they combined the residential setting, the school, all that with the boiler room and the nightmares. So you had like two very opposite settings there. And that was all due to the nightmares. Anything's possible in a nightmare. Like you said, you can, you don't have control. I think too, real quick, mm. now that I'm thinking about this, what adds to it a little bit is I'm pretty sure, well, maybe not every town, but most towns, especially bigger towns, it seems like there's an Elm Street everywhere. So like everyone kind of grew up around an Elm Street. So it's just a little bit yeah. thing like, oh, is that the, you know, like just, just yeah. a little bit thing. <laughs> Yeah, there's an Elm Street where I'm where I live too in my city. Yeah, I think I think the movie was um named after one of the I believe some either the crew one of the crew members or somebody related to somebody involved in the movie. They lived on Elm Street or something as a kid or and of course you had like, you know, Halloween where it had that iconic theme song, you had the iconic creepy nursery rhyme for this movie. Yes. Oh, I love that. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you want to make a horror movie and you want it to be gold, put kids in it. Yep. I was going to say creepy children singing and you got a winner. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Once any horror movie where there's a kid in it, doesn't matter which horror movie it is or what branch it comes from, you put a kid in it. And I'm like, nope, not today. No. I was like, this is going to be bad. Anytime you hear a kid laughing or even if you see a kid walk by. And you're like, uh-uh, no. Yeah, something about the innocence of a child. I think it, children are supposed to be innocent. And when you put it in that kind of setting, it's very disturbing. Yeah, exactly. My, uh, I've heard a joke before. I forget the exact like expression of it, but it's like something along the lines of uh, like children laughing is the most adorable thing in the world until you realize you don't have any children around. You know, it's just like that it becomes instantly creepy. Like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know I've seen I've seen that they made a meme of that and I was like I relate yeah anything you didn't like about the movie honestly no not really because I I think especially the original it's my favorite dream warriors is a close second but the original always has been my favorite I think it's the perfect blend of creepy but with some comedy because Freddy Krueger has his iconic one-liners that are just amazing and he he tiptoes the line without making it too over the top now they do get way too ridiculous later on but just the original is the perfect blend of creepy and funny to me don't you have robert england's autograph i do he actually (laughs) did sign a birthday card for me he uh did this movie in my hometown 
there was this abandoned insane asylum kind of across the street where I lived and they film it's tore down now, but they filmed, um, oh, I, f- I think it was called sleep clinic or something like that. It was like a, they made a movie at some point, but this was like a TV show that had Robert England and I think maybe Danielle Harris in it. And yeah, they filmed it in there and yeah, my dad went across the street and was like, Hey, you signed this for my son? <laughs> and he did. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Do we not talk about his knives for fingers? <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't know how we missed that. <laughs> I think, too, that's like the beginning. It's a really good beginning scene because you start like in his boiler room where you just kind of see him preparing his glove. And it's so, I mean, it is unique. It's probably the most unique weapon in horror, maybe just movies. I mean, everyone uses a knife or a machete or guns or stuff. He's the only, well, okay wolverine but the only other person that has like knives for fingers it's just different and it's an option though that's the thing about freddy cougar his gloves are the knives you know what i mean it's an option it's not something that is you know yeah like wolverine like you can just pull him out whenever it's he that's his weapon of choice and it makes me want to know more like like i was talking to derek about this um i think a couple weeks ago and i was like you know what i want origin stories i want to know how they do it why are they keep coming back we know why chucky comes back we know um how kind of you know what's going on with freddy cougar but we don't know why he just keeps on coming back because it seems like to be a different you know, he's, coming he's there for, for a you. different reason. Well, I mean, I, <laughs> yeah, he is. Um, we're going out to dinner tomorrow night. We're going to talk about a couple of things. But, um, but like his story is, you know, obviously revenge. Most of these, you know, horror movies, you know, the classics are about revenge. And but I want to know why they keep coming back. Like, aren't you tired? Like. Do you get like? Do you like? Why well, are you here? When you think about it, he's always in dreams, so maybe he's never tired. Well, not unless. Um, now, I'm not good with the sequel names, but the one with his mother is that Dream, Dream Child. Child the fifth one. That yeah. one, yes, that one explains a little bit of his origins, and that made me more invested. And I go, okay, what happened to his mother in that sane asylum? Uh, which I don't think I can say on here, so I'm not going to say. But if you want to know, watch the movie. Um, That's the reason why he's a little, you know, tapped in the head. And then his adopted father, you know, he was abusive to him. And Freddie just took it. But then I wanted to know what in between that and to the point where the townspeople you know, set the base, the boiler room on fire. Cause he did die in a boiler room. I think that's why that's his location of choice in the dreams. I want to know everything in between there. Like, like Rob zombie, you're good at this. Get on it. Cause I want to know everything in between. And it's so blurred on the kids. Like, did he do it or did he not do it? Like, yeah. I don't know. I mean, in the in the new movie, they said that he did it. But in the actual real good movies of Freddy, you're like, what did he do so bad for the townspeople to do a witch hunt? Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. I'd be I'd be interested in a origin. The only thing is, and I guess it depends on the director you get, but because I think back to the Texas Chainsaw origin one, they just seem mm-hmm. to never be very good. I don't know why, if it's just the director or it's hard to come up with origins for these icons, but it would definitely need to be the right person to do it. And Texas Chainsaw has like, what, three different origins? 
Well, I mean, uh, the I think it came out like 20. I think it's just called Leatherface, actually. And it's about how he literally became Leatherface. We started off as a kid and it just, I don't know. It was okay. But uh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, it didn't. Uh, it wasn't sad. You want something satisfying. Exactly. If you're. If you're going to add to the list of movies like Halloween, Friday, the 13th, Child's Play, if you're going to add to it, have some appreciation to your fans because we notice. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not saying all the movies are horrible. I'm just saying, you know, there's a lot of questions and there's a lot of movies. Why aren't, you know, how many movies did Halloween have? 11. 11? Yes. 11 movies. And I don't know how he comes back to life. (laughs) Do do you get what I'm saying? Like, what's his motivation to come yeah. back to life? Is it the cult thing? Is, is it well, something with the lake? Yeah, I think I think a big problem is, and maybe I'm wrong, but I think a lot of people, maybe upper Hollywood directors, whatever it is, they just assume that people just want the mindless killing and horror, and they don't care about the backstories when it just couldn't be farther from the truth. They care well, so much about the history and plot of everything. That's true. Maybe when I was younger, it would be all about, you know, the hack and slash. Okay. I can get that. But now that I'm older, I'm kind of like, who hurt you? What's going on? Like, I want to know the story of how you got here and how you keep like, how are you coming back? It's true. We know how Chucky does it, which we'll explain. But I'm just saying, I don't understand. Is it when the job is done? Because Jason's job was done a long time ago. His mom took care of it. They're coming back so they can make more money on more films. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, which, I mean, I, I can get that. It's just, I want to know more. Now that I'm older, I'm, I, I kind of want to be like, what makes you tick? Yeah, you want to know. If they're going to bring him back, you want them to have a good backstory. Yes. like Just like how we said earlier, Rob Zombie did halloween that gave me enough to be like okay now i know who hurt you now i know you have issues but how are you surviving all this because i know you don't have insurance and you're not going to no hospital to get fixed so what's making you is it pure hatred (laughs) like i want to know what you know well i i will say this because i just now thought of it i guess with michael you could just make the argument that he was just born evil because i think it it might have been in the original, um, but I'm not sure. Loomis makes a, a statement that he's just pure evil. Like he's just blackness in his eyes. He's never, there's nothing there. And because he killed at such a young age as a kid, you could almost make that argument that, yeah, maybe he was just born evil. I mean, kids can be born evil. We've seen many cases in real life of kids just doing the unthinkable. I just, I don't know. I just, Maybe I'm being selfish. I want I want to see more. I want, you know, because I want to know for sure. But I guess, you know, that's what most movies do, especially horror movies. They leave it up to your imagination. Yeah. Now that I think about it, though, with Halloween, I almost and I love the Rob Zombie backstory. But now that I'm thinking about it, I with Michael specifically, I almost think I'd rather prefer the unknown because that's he's the shape. He's the you know, I think that kind of adds to it. But I still see what you're saying. Yeah. I can understand you not wanting to know the origins, but wouldn't you want to know, like, you don't want to know the why, but you want to know the how. Like, I still want to know how he comes back. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Because you got to think in the movies, he was killing people he thought did him wrong, especially Rob Zombie's remake, you know, expressed that a lot. 
and he killed anybody who got into his way to try to stop it. Even but like if they did if, though, because if you remember that one guy, uh, uh, who's the actor? Danny Trejo, I believe, played him. Yeah, he, he was uh, a nice janitor. The he, only one he nice loved to him. Mikey. Mikey liked him, and he still turned on him and killed him. So, which makes it confusing because it's like you know, I I want to know how they tick. Yeah, one of the other things I wanted to mention that I thought was kind of interesting was, so Freddy Krueger has knives for fingers, then you have, this is Johnny Depp's first film, and then he later became Edward Scissorhands, who also had knives for fingers. I don't know if there was any connection there, but that was cool. What do you guys think? Do you think there's a connection? Yeah, you know, I never even thought of that until you just mentioned it, but there very well could be. All right, so, sequels. And spinoffs. We have A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge, came out in 1985. Uh, Robert England was back, follows a kid who moves into Nancy from the first film's old house. A Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors, 1987. Robert England again comes back as Freddy. Heather and Langenkamp returns as Nancy as well. Uh, Patricia Arquette was actually in this movie too. A Nightmare on Elm Street 4, The Dream Master, 1988. Robert England reprised his role, and it was a continuation. A Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child. 1989, Robert England comes back. Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare, 1991. Originally supposed to be the last one, but that didn't hold up. Robert England came back, and there were big celebrities that actually made cameos in this one, including Johnny Depp, who was in the original, years after the last Wes Craven's New Nightmare, 1994. It doesn't follow the stories of the previous ones, but instead makes Freddy a fictional character attacking the cast, including Heather Langenkamp, who appeared in the previous films, playing herself while making a movie about him. Robert England, of course, came back. Freddy vs. Jason, 2003. This was a crossover between Friday the 13th series with Jason and Nightmare on Elm Street series with Freddy as I mentioned earlier, puts them against each other. Robert England again plays Freddy. A Nightmare on Elm Street 2010. This was a reboot of the original. Robert England does not appear as Freddy for the first time. Jackie Earl Haley appears as Freddy instead. And lastly, Freddy's Nightmares was an anthology series from 1988 to 1990. It was hosted by Robert England as Freddy, and it featured different horror stories each week. Some fun facts about A Nightmare on Elm Street. Heather Langenkamp's boyfriend at the time of the shooting is actually credited for creating Freddy's nursery rhyme. Charlie Sheen was interested in the role of Glenn, but according to producer Robert Shea, he wanted more money than the production could afford. It would take about three hours to get Robert England into his Freddy makeup. And finally, Heather Langenkamp beat over 200 actresses for the role of Nancy Thompson. Some of the actresses that tried out for the role were Jennifer Grey, Demi Moore, Courtney Cox, Tracy Gold, and Claudia Wells. Moving on to Child's Play, 1988, directed by Tom Holland. The film uh, mainly focuses on Chucky, a notorious serial killer who frequently escapes death by performing a voodoo ritual to transfer his soul into a good guy's doll. Now this was one of the first scary movies I saw as a kid. And I don't know why, but a lot of children (laughs) saw this back in the day, from what I remember, which was pretty odd to me as an adult now, but back then it was just normal. And I'm not sure if that's because adults thought, oh, it's a doll, it's fine. (laughs) Um, 
but yeah, so we had a killer doll. Charles E. Ray, a.k.a. Chucky the doll, was played by Brad Dorff. Alex Vincent as Andy, the kid that he terrorizes. Catherine Hicks as Karen. Chris Sarandon as Detective Mike Norris. The plot, uh, this was the first time I've seen a doll as a killer. He was possessed and... Yeah, I don't know. Um, As I said, a lot of kids saw it. It took place in Chicago, Illinois. I never looked at dolls the same way again. They made the doll in the stores after the movie. It sold out. It's still made. What do you guys think about this? I love it. Um, You mentioned a lot of kids saw it. I was one of them. This was actually the first horror movie I ever saw. I think I was like maybe three or four and I cried at the end. I was so scared and I fell in love with horror movies ever since then. So it definitely has a special place in my heart. Yeah. Did you guys see it as a kid, Tony and Josh? I did. And then my mom dragged us out of the movie theater uh, because she realized (laughs) what it was. (laughs) Yeah, did, Did parents just not pay attention to what the movie actually was? Because I feel like so many kids saw this either with their parents or without, like they would rent it in the video store back in the day when it first came out. I mean, the the cover, the cover to Child's Play, now I could be getting the covers wrong, but the covers to Child's Play, wasn't it Chucky with a weird smile on his face with scissors cutting off a -a jack-in-a-box head? That was part either two or three. The cover for the original Child's Play is just like the apartment building with like kind of a lightning bolt down the middle and like you see Chucky's eye or something. So it's very vague. It is creepy, but it's not. Yeah, that's enough for me as a parent to be like, no, (laughs) no, no, no. I I was lucky enough, again, to live in a house where, you know, we would watch killer clowns from outer space to Chucky. Like if it was on TV, my mom's like, if you get nightmares, it's not my fault. We watched, you know, whatever we wanted to watch. So I wasn't really too scared of dolls or anything like that. Like I'm I'm more scared of porcelain dolls. Those things are creepy. But yes. like Yes. <laughs> yeah, por- like like I don't even know why they became a thing or like the por- you know the porcelain dolls that if you, you know, you sit them up or you lay them down and their eyes open and shut. Yeah. <laughs> Screw that. Yeah. No, I I won't I will leave that house. I will leave your house. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't do them either. They're the creepiest thing. I could Give me Chucky dolls, Michael, already porcelain dolls can go to hell. <laughs> exactly. It seems but, like um, in every every Portuguese home that you ever went to, your grandmother would have porcelain dolls. And <laughs> okay, all I have to say the, is the, the listeners one, that don't know Josh. What yeah, is a Portuguese? Oh, a Portuguese, a Portuguese <laughs> You know, you'd go we to call, your, we call ourselves Portuguese. Portuguese. Yeah, we're Portuguese. But you'd go to your grandmother's house or your vovo's house. And you would see these dolls on a shelf. And then when your Vavo died or your grandmother died, you know, for some odd messed up freaking reason, your mother would then bring them to your house. Mm-hmm. You know, there's been a few times but- that have they blinked at me. <clears throat> Never again. <laughs> oh, yeah, because they have the eyes and sometimes like, you know how they have like the motion eyes. Yep. And sometimes, you know, sometimes they move on their own, like either a car goes by and it shakes the ground or something. Yeah, no, I'm not doing that. No, my Vavo had a couple porcelain dolls, but also, you know, Vavo's houses, you know, they had creepy pictures up too, you know, like the scary religious pictures. 
us Portuguese people, we were born with instill a fear. As a child, I'd rather have gone see this movie than go to my Vovo's house. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like, yeah, Vovo would have been, Vovo would have been like, if you were crying or screaming, like, oh my god, the doll's about to get me. They'd be like, what the hell do you want me to do about it? You want me to get hurt? That's a Vovo. (laughs) Yeah, I think the only God one who can't, uh, can't relate is Derek, because Derek is not yeah. Portuguese in the slightest. Why do you think that is, though? So you're saying, like, a, I, I totally get it, but a porcelain doll is more creepy than a doll with a mean face and a knife. I mean, is it because of the more realistic childlike thing? or um, it's It's more or less a porcelain doll looks innocent. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. too pretty. But if you look at a doll with a knife, you're like, oh, your intentions are to kill me. You look at a porcelain doll and you're like, what the fuck are you thinking about? Why are you looking at me like that? What Do you get what I'm degree? saying? <laughs> yeah, it's it's like, did you just blink at me? <laughs> it's like having a cat. You know, when you look at a cat and the cat looks back at you and you're like, oh, the cat looks cute. But in reality, that cat is like plotting your murder. That's what. Like, That's how I feel. At yeah. A porcelain doll. I would play. I had a. Uh, I had a Chucky doll when I was a kid, and <laughs> I had no problem playing with that thing. I would sleep with it, no problem. But you put a porcelain doll anywhere near my darn room? Nope. No, no. My ex-wife had one. We kept it in the closet. I said it was <sighs> me or the doll, me or the doll, and I knew it was in the closet, and that creeped me out just as much because. What what do porcelain dolls remind you of? Kind of puppet master. That creeped me out. That creeped me out more than ch- child's play. Yeah, I think it goes back to the innocence thing that we talked about earlier with the kids. There's just something mm-hmm. when something's not supposed to be creepy, it's creepy. Whereas like you see a killer doll with a knife, it's like oh, it's supposed to be. You know, it's just it's like yeah. a psychological thing. Yeah, isn't there like a uh, a part of the movie where there's a store filled with Chucky dolls? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? So, so that that all right. So that that Chucky doll is going for online on eBay for over two grand. A I believe from it. That movie that's ridiculous. I mean, yeah, insane. No, it's not. If, if if me or Derek had two grand that we could spend right now, <laughs> this is true. Y- you think that we won't get that doll? <laughs> I'm telling you, I would I would not only get that doll, but I would definitely get the Tiffany doll too. Uh, Tiffany, we will get into that. Um. <laughs> Ooh, Jennifer Tilly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that whole freaking chant that they do. What is that? That damn. It's a voodoo spell. Give me the power, I beg of you. Sakus and I think it's how it goes. Yeah, you got it. You got it. Well, he says it so much. You know, you know, he says it so much because he wants to get into. But you notice this though with Chucky, he's desperate to get into. He wants to get into what? Oh, you mean? I thought you meant. I thought you meant. I thought you meant Derek. No, no. I mean, I mean Chucky. Um, I'm gonna call him Chucky because I'm not. I'm not gonna call him by his, his person name. He's so desperate to get into a body so fast to get rid of the doll, not only because there's a timer to the whole thing, but he ignores everybody else, but he just wants to be in a kid. Yeah. Does that make sense? Like, he, like, well, what I'm getting at is he wants to relive life. Yeah. 
And that's even more scary because what if Chucky succeeded with Andy and then we have a little, you know, little serial yeah. killer kid. I think that was probably his whole goal is just keep repeating. Once he grows up, grows older, that body going to another kid and repeat. That was the, um, Rinse, that's how I repeat. felt with the bride of Chucky. <laughs> yeah. Huh? Rinse, kill and repeat. <laughs> exactly. I mean, if you had a voodoo spell that could make you live forever and you could share that spell like she, he did with Tiffany and you could share it with your loved ones, wouldn't you do it a couple times? I don't know. And you could start over. You start over as a kid and you could read with, with your adult brain. I would do it at least once. <laughs> I would. I would be smart. They'll yeah. be like, oh, my God, that little eight year old smart. And I'm just, you know, I'm like, yeah, I'm a 36 year old man <laughs> in an eight year old body. Yeah. So the movie definitely makes us think about bringing our souls into the to younger people. Anything else? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's the whole point of he wants to like, he, you notice how he could have gone into anybody's body throughout that whole, like even in the first movie, he could have gone well, into anybody's body, but he chose no. Andy for a reason. That's not technically true. He, no? he, how do I explain this? He, the way the voodoo spell is set up, he is required to transfer his soul into the first person that he told his secret to that. He's actually Charles Lee Ray, which happened to be Andy. So he was almost forced to do that. Oh, true. That's stay right. Stay as a doll. But, but he wasn't forced to tell him. Well, no, but he didn't know at the time that that was the thing. He went to meet with, um, not Eddie Caputo, but the other guy, the voodoo guy. And he said that, you know, and at that point he already realized that, well, now I got to be a kid. So that would explain, well, it explains why with the new movie, well, not the remake movies, but the new movie, um, which one is it, Derek? Um, Andy comes back. And he has a you know Chucky kind of spawns into other Chucky's. Is that the cult of Chucky? Yeah, or is yeah, that the worst one? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And you know because he could have gone to anybody, but that's the thing too. It kind of um, the bride of Chucky then kind of screws that that scenario up because neither Tiffany nor Chucky told the I don't I forgot their names. They didn't tell them who they were. Yeah, and well, they, they still tried to do it. They kind of did, though, because, I mean, they didn't really tell. Well, they didn't tell them who they were, but they revealed themselves as talk. So I don't know. I guess it's kind of a Is it revealing? But yeah, I don't know. It's just. It's not per se, hey, I'm Tony. Yeah. It's more of a, hey, I can move and I can, you know what I mean? But no, that, see, that's still at, at the same token, maybe that wouldn't have worked. Maybe they would have tried to transfer their souls and it would have failed. We never got to that point in the movie, so what you know? So <laughs> I'm just, just going to say this: we're trying to make sense of a movie that two dolls had relations, and they had a seed of Chucky. We cannot make sense of this. Is why I love Chucky because it's just like did did that just like has any have you guys seen Seed of Chucky? Yeah. Does that make sense? No, that's that's so, unanimously everyone's most hated movie, but I actually like it. It's not the I like it. <laughs> I like it. I mean, I think, you know, the casting of Jennifer Tilly over and over again, like in that, like Jennifer Tilly playing Tiffany, but playing Jennifer Tilly. Yeah. Like I was like, that's that's too much. I, I love Jennifer Tilly. Beautiful woman. Amazing actress. But 
that's too much. I want to see Tiffany. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, we're trying to make sense of a movie that tried to explain to us how Chucky, a doll, and Tiffany, a doll, had a baby. So you can't make sense of it. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So sequels and spinoffs. Child's Play 2, 1990. Brad Dourif played Chucky again. Alex Vincent came back. It was a continuation from the first movie. Child's Play 3, 1991. Brad Dourif again. Uh, Jason Whalen actually played Andy in that one. And it took place eight years after the second film. Bride of Chucky, 1998. Brad Dourif came back as Chucky. As we just said, Jennifer Tilly, who played, she played uh, Tiffany Valentine, Chucky's bride. Catherine Heigl was in this movie, as well as John Ritter. It was a more humorous movie, and it was steps away from the Andy Barclay storyline. Seed of Chucky, 2004. Brad Dourif came back. Jennifer Tilly came back. Billy Boyd was the son of Chucky and Tiffany. And it was a story about him. Curse of Chucky, 2013. Brad Dourif came back years later, uh, and it was the return of Chucky with a new story. Cult of Chucky, 2017. Brad Dourif came back. Jennifer Tilly came back. Alex Vincent also came back as Andy. Child's Play, 2019, was a remake of the original. Mark Hamill actually did the voice of Chucky. Gabriel Bateman was Andy Barclay. Then we had uh, Chucky's Vacation Slides in 2005. This was actually a short film that was released in the special feature section of Seed of Chucky. Uh, It's about Chucky, Tiffany, and Glenn uh, when they come back from a vacation and look at slides of photos and notice corpses in the background. Chucky Invades, 2013, another short film of videos leading up to the release of The Curse of Chucky on DVD. Finally, Chucky came out this year. It's a TV series. Brad Dourif plays Chucky, and Alex Vincent returns as Andy, and it's a continuation from the original movies. Fun facts. The original working title for the film was Batteries Not Included. Before it became known, Spielberg was actually making a film with the same title, so they didn't go with that title. It was changed to Blood Buddy before actually settling on Child's Play. In the original script, the director wanted Charles Lee Ray as Andy's father. Finally, Chucky's full name, Charles Lee Ray, is derived from notorious killers Charles Manson, Lee Harvey Oswald, who assassinated John F. Kennedy, and James Earl Ray, the assassin of Martin Luther King Jr. All right, guys, that wraps up part one of the three-part Halloween special. I want to thank you so much for listening. Be sure to check out part two and part three for more Halloween fun. We'll be having discussions on modern horror films, as well as discussions on paranormal investigations, true crime stories, real-life spooky stories, and other fun Halloween traditions. We'll also have an exclusive interview with a very special guest who plays one of the most terrifying killers in horror movie history. All episodes will be out by October 31st, so check them out wherever you found this one. Until then, I hope you all glow and shine bright. Thank you.